Hello, Johnny. Hello. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. Yeah? Yeah. Thanks for making the time, Johnny. <clears throat> oh, you're welcome. I really appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the MGC Podcast. Today, our guest is Pastor Johnny Moore. And we are going to be talking about governing authorities and discipleship. This episode is going to be different in that we are going to be having a conversation because both of us preached this series together. We are not going to be getting into the contents of the sermon, but we are going to be assuming everything that was taught. If you want to go and watch the sermons before you listen to this episode, go to www.metalglade.com archive and you will find the sermons under the series Life Together. We want to thank you guys for listening, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. As I go on a journey that's new for me, and as we as a, as a denomination of Seventh-day Adventists have, um, we've had a very interesting past when it comes to political engagement. Uh, on the one hand, starting out being, you know, very strong abolitionists. Uh, Ellen White uh, uh, advocated for someone to be disfellowshipped because of, you know, they, they being a, a pro-slavery person up in Maine, I believe. So the way that we titled this sermon series was Discipleship and Politics. And um, right. Governing I, Authorities and Discipleship. That, that's yeah. it right there. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that when some people read that, they, they thought to themselves, what does this have to do with discipleship? Right. So maybe for anyone who was uh, wondering that, uh, what is the relationship between our religious life and our civil life? Sure. If the disciples taught something, if they conveyed something, if they related something about life and they're speaking as inspired by the Holy Spirit, then, then we, we trust, I choose to trust that what they're speaking, that this comes out of the way of Jesus. So then any teaching in scripture in the way that it relates to any area of life can't be off limits for me to discuss, for us to discuss as a church. The reason we talk about the governing authorities and discipleship, I believe, is because Jesus' disciples chose to include teachings about relating to civil authorities in their package of what it looked like to follow Jesus. So if they thought it was important, then we should too. We should engage it on some level, even as we recognize that what it looked like back then is going to be different than what it looks like now.
because of our very explosive political conversations, uh, candor, the way that we're talking to each other, it's put us in these trenches, you know, where we feel like we're, we're lobbing grenades back and forth when, um, really we're on the, we're on the same side. We just have, uh, at least we could be on the same side fundamentally we just have different approaches and different ways about thinking about things and and how change can come about it's so sad to me that it seems like people on the left are talking about justice um, as if people on the right have no value of justice Um, as if as if people on the right don't care about people who are black or brown or you know poor or rich or or something there's room to debate which side's solutions are actually the best and the most effective and um, will help neighbor the most you know will will help live out the way of scripture the most but there's been so much demonization that it's like there there isn't there isn't room for that conversation anymore and and then that creates then a context in which how do we as a church how do we as pastors how do we as want as those who want to speak into moral issues how do we how do we do that in a way that that people can hear in our congregations wherever someone sits politically and how they think we should approach the world how do we talk about these moral issues in a way that that everyone can can chew on it and be confronted and be challenged and and grow together how how do we talk about it and it seems like there there isn't there aren't many avenues for that and and i think that maybe where where our sermon series in part you know if it did frustrate some people i imagine frustration came from that um from from the difficulty in talking about these things and and maybe our struggle maybe even our inability to talk about these things in a way um that will being thought-provoking um, it was still a language that people could understand and, and the lack of language that we have um, given our time. We are going to take a pause here. For those of you who missed our sermons, I'm going to make a short and succinct summary of what we both said. In Romans chapter 12, Paul begins by saying, therefore, and this is therefore in light of everything that he has just said, in view of God's mercy, we should live a life that is completely transformed. And what does a transformed life look like? Well, it acts in love in the church. It acts in love outside of the church. 
and it acts in love when it engages with the governing authorities for the sake of furthering mission. And the call to the Christian when we get to chapter 13 is not to obey, because Paul never obeys, but it is to upotasso, which is the Greek word, which means a cooperation when you have understood what is uh, required of you. So Johnny brings out five points. And the first is following Jesus, that living out the belief um, for all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through Christ Jesus, that that living that out, that that affects all of life. Number two, in their time, talking about submission to, to civil authorities, talking about what that looked like, this was something that was necessary for them to do mission. Number three, this call to submit to the ruling authorities exists in the context of loving people deeply number four our government is different than their where their government called them to strictly obey our government calls on us our constitution calls on us to participate in the voting process and five we need to talk to each other as difficult as it might be at the end of the day we are still humans we are still on this planet and we are still living within systems that affect us so it's impossible not to be political. We have to be political, but how are we going to be political? And that's where discipleship guides us. It gives us a set of ethics on how we are going to behave, how we are going to engage others, how we are going to vote, and the people that we are going to support. In the West, at least today, we, we have this concept of things that are secular and things that are sacred. Mm -hmm. um, prayer is sacred. Bible study is sacred. Going to church worship, that is sacred. Right. Playing soccer, spending time with our friends. Um, anything that doesn't include religious life um, is secular. Uh, this concept of things being secular, it's, it's rather new. Mm -hmm. It's not something that has always been part of uh, the religious conscience. It really was until the Enlightenment when the Western world was trying to come up with a set of morals and ethics apart from God that um, they really tried to uh, come up with a word. How did we define a set of morals and life outside of God? And they're like, well, let's call it secular. Because the, the word secular from its Latin root literally means of this world. Like, mm. um, like stars and the moon and the sun, they're not secular because they're outside of this world. But trees, plants, animals, those are secular because they're of this world. Mm. And that's how the Enlightenment thinkers decided to, to define a worldview that did not include God. Um, but before this time, um, for centuries, thousands of years, people did not divorce uh, secular life from religious life. God was in everything. He was part of everything. He was intricately involved in everything. And that's why God had a say in everything. Because yeah. God was part of your work life. God was part of your personal life. God was part of your personal relationships. Why wouldn't God be part of this 
it's interesting because that worldview is part of the worldview of scripture. Scripture doesn't have this concept of sacred and secular. Like mm. in scripture, God creates the world and it's all good. It's all sacred. And I think that here in the West, since we have this divorce of, uh, we divorce uh, our secular and religious life, we begin to assume that God has nothing to do with certain aspects of our life, or we begin to assume that God has nothing to say into certain parts of our life. Because if we are citizens of the kingdom, does God not have a say on how we behave in the church? Right. But then why wouldn't he also have a say on how we as Christians are to behave as citizens of a nation? You know, so I, I do believe that God does have um, that part of discipleship includes how we how we interact with every aspect of our life, including including our our religious life. Yeah, our our our, our civil life, our civil life, our political life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, hence kind of coining this term like like we did together of of civil discipleship. You know that that we are going to we are going to celebrate this idea that the secular and the sacred are not mutually exclusive that that they're closer together that god wants to be a part of even those secular areas in our lives um while at the same time you know recognizing the abuses in the past um that have happened when um People have maybe gotten uh, to a place where they're confused about the difference between their ideas and God's ideas and so use holy authority as a coercive force uh, to control the people around them and, and things like that. So, So this is... As we were talking, this was very much, and as, as we were preaching, I know both of us are big supporters of separation of church and state. Of course. You know, in the kingdom, as citizens of the kingdom, what discipleship does for us is it teaches us how to become more like Christ, but it doesn't necessarily put us in a position. Actually, it doesn't at all put us in a position to rule the kingdom. Hmm. So if that's what discipleship does in the kingdom, then what discipleship does for us in, when we're involved in our civil life is the same. It doesn't give us a position to rule or huh. to have power, but it is a, a way of living within that, that system. Huh. Interesting. So, so does that mean that a, that a Seventh-day Adventist can't run for office? I think a Seventh-day Adventist can run for office. Um, but I think that the, the, what discipleship does is it gives us a set of ethics to, to live and to maneuver our way in the world with. It doesn't necessarily give us the power to say, I want the church now to be in charge Sure. You know, there's a difference between saying I have a, a set of ethics that drives how I behave in every aspect of my life and then saying, OK, I want. I, I actually want the organization that I'm part of 
to run the show here. And those right. are two, two, two different things. As I go on a journey that's new for me, and as we as a, as a denomination, as Seventh-day Adventists, have, um, we've had a very interesting past when it comes to political engagement. Uh, on the one hand, starting out being, you know, very strong abolitionists. Uh, Ellen White uh, uh, advocated for someone to be disfellowshipped because of, you know, they, they being a, a pro-slavery person up in Maine, I believe. Uh, you know, near near the founding of the church, and of course, this is in the context of the Civil War and um, all the tensions about you know slavery and stuff at that time. Um, to to being very supportive of the temperance movement, uh, to uh, to really kind of disengaging after the sort of the 1920s, really disengaging from the political life, and that sort of continuing uh, throughout the 20th century and up until the present time with with exceptions of course so because we have this interesting past of how we relate to politics i recognize that this conversation is a uh, is a challenging one we have like you said historically been very involved in political issues sure um from and it really wasn't until the death of Ellen White where we as a church uh, slowly just moved away from those ideals. And as uh, Ante Yorancha, she's uh, one of the ethics professors at uh, Andrews University, uh, something that he points out is that there is that we as a church are very, we were a very unique group of people because out of all the eschatological movements, and eschatological is just a big word for end times End times um, as an eschatological movement. We were the we have been the only one who has cared about what still happens on this earth. Every other movement has been like, well, the world is ending. Jesus is coming. Let it all burn. Let's pump everything we can out of the earth, it's all going to burn anyway. But as Seventh-day Adventists, although we believed that Jesus was coming soon, we still believed that we should get rid of slavery. We still believed that, hey, health matters. The body matters. Hey, the earth matters. Uh, there was still a worry and a stewardship of what was here while every other movement was like, well, it's all going to burn. Who mm -hmm. cares? Let us drink and be merry. Jesus is coming soon. For mm -hmm. us, there was a, a concern for what happens here now, um, even though it will burn. And the way I like to think about it is always like uh, the way we treat the, the, the creation shows how we feel about the one who made it. You know, that's why we care about the health message. That's why we care about the earth, because we care about God and he gave it to us. Uh, we're good stewards and governments are something that are on this earth. And if we care for the earth, if we care for the brother, if we care for the human, then we are invested in, in what affects the people who we love. We are invested in what is going to affect the future of, of our kids. 
Um, so I think that that is one of the reasons that mo- that should at least re- re-motivate us as Seventh-day Adventists to have our discipleship um, lead the way in how we engage with, with what happens in our country. Speaking to that point, something that was really important for me as I, as I came to this was as I, as we came to this sermon, this little two-parter, um, was I, I just kept on thinking about the call to love our neighbors, to love people around us. If, if down the road from us here at Meadowglade, um, someone, a, a, a child lost their life, we as a church, we would say, oh, neighbor, like we care about you. We're your church. We're the church of this community. You can have your memorial service here. And then if another child lost their life from another neighbor, we would open up our church and we would do it again and again and again and again. We would do it a thousand times over. But if if children kept on dying, you know, and we found out that the reason why is because the water supply here in Battleground is poisoned. You know, the the water that everyone's wells are pulling from, the, the water that the city or the county or whatever, you know, however it is that we're getting our water, that that's, that that's a poisoned water source. And so it's causing, you know, people who are less developed, it's causing children, children, immune systems can't take it. You know, if we as a church didn't do anything about changing the situation in our water supply, like how long would the community feel like us putting on memorial services for their children was like really a loving, kind, caring thing to do? Like at some point it's like, yeah, that's that's nice, but you have all of these people here, like can you do something about the poison water? Like, are we going to do something? And Jesus was someone who was touched deeply by the pain of those around him. So so touched that he said, disciples, give them something to eat. And they said, we've got nothing. And he said, have them sit down. And then he breaks five loaves into thousands. Jesus, who, who sees a, a widow um, who's lost her one son weeping, as they exit the village and and he goes and raises her son because he's so moved by her pain. Jesus, who raises Lazarus from the dead, who Jesus responded with compassion because love of neighbor meant something practical, not that his kingdom was all about meeting physical needs. It certainly wasn't, you know. Uh, Jesus didn't provide the infinite bread machine and leave it behind you know that wasn't that wasn't his his task so to speak but when he was on earth he lived in a way um, that that exercised compassion for the other and so you know we then we have this call to care about our neighbors and and part of that is going to be exercised in a in, in how we relate civilly, and how we relate in the political context. Um, yeah.
We want to thank you for tuning in to our show today. We want to acknowledge that we understand that we have not covered everything. And that is because we don't know everything. And our desire is not to provide all the answers, but to begin a civil conversation, to bring back kindness and love to the conversation on politics, to encourage us to live a life that is discipled. The answers to these questions are not going to be found in one conversation between Pastor Johnny and me, but the answers lie ahead as we all, as a community, sit around tables and talk to one another. Grace and peace, my friends. Thank you.